The Start On Demand. On demand. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb are back together again after two months of alternating vacations. Today we're going to talk about the explosion of property crime in the city of Winnipeg as it pertains to meth. And one of our listeners actually reached out to say he got broken into this morning. We're also going to learn about a poll that says half of Canadian parents are concerned their kids are spending too much time on their devices. And virtual reality, it's becoming a classroom field trip trend where students are going out and learning things thanks to virtual reality or augmented reality. What would you do if you could pick any virtual experience? What would you do? I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb. We are Mackling, McGarry and McNabb, and this is the Tuesday, September 3rd podcast for The Start. It's Mackling, McGarry and McNabb. All in one spot? All in one spot. Are you sure? Together again. Hello, wow. everyone. How's good, it going? Good to I'm see you, I'm deliberately man. staying quiet just to, like, prolong the feeling that I'm not here. Well, or one I, of us isn't here. <laughs> just for a second. I was going to see how long I could take it, but the eight seconds. Eight seconds was the uh, how long I could stay quiet. Was that, like, riding a bull? Is yes. That yeah, eight yes, seconds. eight seconds. It qualifies as a ride. So, well <laughs> done, McNabb. See ya. Boom. <laughs> Nailed it. So, hey, uh, I know you probably talked about this yesterday. San Diego treated you well? Oh, man. Southern California is absolutely beautiful. I actually put my feet in the ocean, and I know you say it doesn't count. Counts for me. So, sorry, just to clear this up. Greg has a fear of basically being any, anything but a pool. And we've talked about that often on the show. You won't go in lakes. You won't go in the oceans. He came in yesterday and said he swam in the ocean. I did not use the word swim. You did so. And I then said you I said, went I, in the ocean. Well, come on. When you say you go in the ocean, nobody means I walked in up to my kneecaps. That's what I meant. <laughs> <laughs> I said nothing about swimming. Absolutely nothing. It implied swimming. And it, it was, was standing, all a farce. Standing in the ocean, I was made it very clear that I was looking to the sky and the helicopters were going up and down the beach and Jackie says, oh, what are the helicopters for? Who are they looking for? I said, not who, what? What are they looking for? They are looking for sharks. And then that's when you said, and this is why I am standing in the ocean. That's right. Not swimming. swimming in the ocean. And then I realized as my children were playing in the waves about 30 feet offshore going, isn't dusk and dawn the two worst times to be swimming in the ocean? And I waited until I got back to the hotel. Mm, yes, indeed, it is the two worst times for <laughs> shark attacks uh, okay. close to shore. So I, I try not to push those fears and concerns on my children. They absolutely loved it. They, I mean, we went to Universal Studios, a Major League Baseball game, and the San Diego Zoo. And guess what they had the most fun doing? Just playing in the ocean. Really? Yeah, jumping in and out of the waves. See, you know, it's like, it's, it's inevitable. It's the like, free thing, it's like the box at Christmas time <laughs> ends up being the most popular toy. We've had a couple things this summer where just to save money, you take them to, you know, I'll say a budget hotel or worse. But if it has a pool, and I'm talking like six by two, a like it, it's basically a two, a bathtub and a half. And my kids are like, this this hotel's the best. And you're like, why am I ever spending more than 60 bucks on any room anywhere? I remember, I, I can't I think I was like eight or nine years old. I don't even remember where it was. It might've might just been Grand Forks or something. I don't know where we were going, but we were at this Ramada hotel and we, our room like walked out onto the pool. And nice. I seem to remember it being like chaos, like hundreds of kids in this pool. And uh, it was like one of my fondest memories from mm -hmm. my childhood. It was staying at this hotel, just playing in the pool for, I don't know, four or five hours. Mm -hmm. I'm sure my parents were happy because I was out of their face. We were in the pool. But yeah, the pool, when you're a kid at the hotel, the pool is a blast. Well, I, my kids last summer asked to move to Regina because the hotel had a pool. We should live here. I was really? like, because of, well, it's a pool. I was like, there's a pool in a lot of places, man. Like, we're not moving to Regina for that. 
Now that now a lot of them have water slides. Oh, the water slides are invaluable in terms of keeping the kids occupied. Those are one of the best inventions of all time. Yeah, the they, water slide. Even the one over at Canada's Polo Park. Like I rented, I got a room for my twenty fourth birthday or something with my buddies. And, oh, uh, you weren't one of those groups of uh, of overage teenagers, were you? Uh, in the pool? Yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we went down, we checked in at 3 o'clock, and we went down to the pool on Good the water you. slide, and uh, we had a blast. It was a fast water slide, so, yeah, man, you, you're never too old to enjoy a water slide. I concur with you. We weren't being idiots, we were just enjoying ourselves. That's wonderful. Um, so, coming up today, we have an interesting conversation at 645, Hal Anderson is going to do something on this later today on Hal Anderson Afternoons about virtual reality. What's the story there, McNabb? Well, he had stumbled across this headline about the use of virtual reality in classrooms. And as we get set to go back to school, he was reading that in the States, and and we're hearing here in Canada too, it's increasingly being used as a tool, you know, in history classes or other classes for teachers. And so we've got some calls out to different school divisions to see how the technology is being used. But in the meantime, it had us all thinking, well, what would you use virtual reality for if you couldn't get somewhere, like a f- school field trip? They might, it might augment a school field trip. Like Kids can't all get to Normandy. But is there a way to explore the beaches of Normandy or war- World War II through virtual reality? Or is it just a fun place we would like to go or a thing we're scared of that virtual reality would allow us to do but not actually do, like skydive? Like if you could just fake jump out of a plane and be like, ah, I'm good. Well, I mentioned Universal Studios. We were there on Friday, and really there was one physical ride. There was a roller coaster that's fairly short yep. in the Harry Potter land, but the rest of the roller coasters are now virtual reality to a great extent. They're simulators, and let me tell you, they're spectacular. It feels like you are flying through the air, and you are doing things that you would never be able to do on a fixed track roller coaster. So if you combine the virtual reality with some sort of movement, my goodness, it is incredibly realistic. Yeah, and we're, there are also so many practical applications too, and we'll get into this a bit later, but just quickly, Greg, you and I went to the MPI uh, facility over on Plessy's a couple of years ago. They were unveiling this new virtual reality distracted driving. I think it was for distracted driving, and they had some students there from high schools, and we got to test it out. And the idea was you had to Navigate driving while fielding text messages galore, and uh, in the meantime, they you know they'd have people walk out into the street in front of you. I mean, it was almost impossible to avoid a crash the way that the the game was designed. But it was super immersive and super realistic, and it it was a good kind of eye opener. To, to see it in that context, because I think we get behind the wheel and we think, oh, it won't happen to me, or we get this feeling of invincibility. So when you're in this game and you get to see it from a different perspective, I think it helped. And I also was reading today that they're using virtual reality to help sexual assault victims deal with their PTSD because it puts them in, they can go to these virtual parties where it's a situation maybe they don't want to face in real life or so, they're not ready for. Right, so it's not about confronting necessarily the assaulter or the suspect or the person who did it to them. It's about the moment that's maybe prevented them in life from moving forward, yeah. going to the party or back to work or whatever it might be. Here in Winnipeg, we have a virtual reality lab that helps people overcome their phobias. Mm-hmm. Everything from getting on an airplane to getting in the ocean. Being near a spider, uh, those kinds of things. Yeah, it, uh, it, it's become highly effective tool in terms of therapy for people that have issues like I do. With the uh, ocean. Yeah, phobias uh, of any sort. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's kind of a neat concept. So we'll talk about that at 645. You can text us. What would your virtual experience be? And I just want to quickly say, hey, thanks, guys, for letting me have yesterday off. I moved over the weekend. Not going to get into the details of the major life change out of respect for the other party involved, but I now live on my own, moved out of St. Boniface to Osborne Village. So thank you for letting me start to get my life together. My my place is still a disaster, but uh, I'm in. I, I really moved. feel like we should have played. Is it White Snake? Here I go again? Yeah. <laughs> I love that, too. I think maybe you should uh, have us over for tacos or something at some point. I do like tacos. Taco bar, maybe? There's a there's a burrito place right down the street. Let's do it. I can walk there. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Jeff Braun is here. Kelly Moore is here. Jeff, Fortier, the whole gang back together. And we want to talk right now 
about virtual reality because Hal Anderson is going to have a conversation this afternoon about what is happening with classrooms as it pertains to field trips, Loren. Yeah, he stumbled across an article about virtual reality technology that would that's indicating in the States, at least, uh, teachers will be using it to take their students on more field trips as it becomes more accessible because it can give them 360 degree views. Uh, it can aid them in learning with touch screens. And basically, it's allowing them to go places that they might not be able to afford to go. So no matter your economic level or where you live or or what your situation is, the, every kid in class can learn the same way. So it's not putting an end to field trips. It's just might augment how you learn. And so we were talking this morning. We know it's in place in class. Classrooms. Canadian Museum for Human Rights has it. There's been things with residential schools that allow you to see what it would be like to have been in a residential school for learning experiences or in a war trench or other. So we know it's being used and we started talking about how we would use it to go places that perhaps we couldn't afford to go or maybe eliminate some fears we might have mm-hmm. with testing the waters, so to speak, yes. to virtual reality. <laughs> oh, you're looking at me? <laughs> Yes. I thought the testing the waters <laughs> yes. was like a really oh. just a natural, that's a segue. Natural segue. Yes, and I'm getting all sorts of text messages, not only from listeners, but also on my personal phone saying that <laughs> standing in the ocean up to my knees does not count as being in the ocean. Yeah, I can see your pulse rate going up as soon as McNabb mentioned water. <laughs> well, tell my heart that it doesn't, that it doesn't count. And uh, virtual reality, I think, would be one of those things. That might help me get over this whole idea of what's going on in the water, under the water, where I am genuinely uncomfortable. I tried to get over it in 1994 in Cabo San Lucas. I went, I went scuba diving, but a school of fish came swimming at me. Were they the, barracudas? Uh, <laughs> they were very small they fish. They were goldfish. But all, they were not goldfish. <laughs> But the first thing that went through my mind was the fact that they must be swimming or, in my head, running in fear from a larger predator. Oh, okay. And that was it. That was it for me. And that was 19, oh, 25 years ago. I've not really essentially swam in the ocean since, even though I was in it the other knees. day. To Just the other, I was still in the ocean. My shirt got wet. Wow. So there you go. Look at that. How about that? Big step forward for men, Kelly. Okay, can we, uh, where would you go with the, with virtual reality, Kelly? Well, you know, I tell you, I would love uh, to go to the Amazon rainforest uh, because then you wouldn't have to worry about all the, the bugs or falling into the quicksand or, or whatever. But that it, that has always intrigued me. You know, I don't know if it's been having lunch at the Rainforest Cafe every once in a while, but <laughs> but I, I think that would be a real cool virtual reality tour. No question. Yeah, yeah, I love the idea of being able to use virtual reality to see parts of the world that you might never make it to or yeah. might, might not be able to afford to go. Like I've always wanted to go to Europe or just, you know, see the mountains over there. And uh, I don't know if that's going to happen anytime soon. So if I could step into a virtual reality and see the same sites... I wouldn't be able to, you know, smell them and feel them and what have you, but it still would be cool to have that immersive experience. But like, have, have Jeff, have you ever tried anything virtual reality? Oh, yeah. I've, I've, there's whatever the little places you can go and you pay for half an hour and do all sorts of games on there. And there's one where you can fly around and stuff. And yeah. It's freaky. I'm, I don't like heights and it's, it's, it plays into that well. It's very scary. I, I, I've wasted waiting? like 10 minutes just waiting to start, just refusing to. Because you got to well, you got to start by jumping off a building. So that was my question. Because in in my head, it'd be I I like to kind of push the boundaries of things, and so I wonder if it'd be kind of neat to try virtuality, virtual reality for jumping, you know, out of an airplane yeah. or climbing a mountain or going into a shark tank. Like I've thought about doing that when on trips, but if I could test it, yeah. So if it if it really simulates the experience, like you, th- I you thought so. You thought you, you were going to fall. There's one where well, there's one where you do fall where you jump. There's a plank that sticks out of a. 30-story building, and you just walk off it, and you plummet to the ground. And your stomach's up in your throat? Yeah. Huh. What happens when you hit the ground? It goes, dunka, dunka, dunka. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I don't, it feels like you hit the ground, except your bones don't shatter. Did you did you experience any uh, motion sickness? Because one of the things, and I remember when we went to the MPI thing, Greg, a couple of years ago, where we did that sort of distracted driving seminar, they warned us that you might feel motion sickness because you're in this completely immersive situation where it feels like it looks like you're moving but you can tell that you're not moving yeah you might feel some of that i didn't but didn't? I, I don't okay. get motion sickness anyways it just freaked me out so yeah yeah and uh it's fun though 
Forte, what would you do? Well, at first I was thinking about maybe going to space, but then you're not going to feel that weightlessness, you know? But it'd still be pretty cool to check out Mars or something like that. But then I was thinking maybe something like Notre Dame, where, uh, you know, before the fire and being able to, because I've never been there. So I thought maybe oh. maybe go to a place that has... Nerd. Hey. <laughs> How about on. the inside of a volcano? That'd be more fun. Actually, that would be fun. That would be, 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 like be super neat. Yeah. Yeah, well, but, but, but something that's been destroyed, and you can go something back you in, couldn't otherwise kind of go back in history. It oh. would be the only way that you could do it. Yeah. Get it? Like the Titanic. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. That's, That'd be cool. Hey, you yeah. guys are really thinking outside the box here. Yeah, I you're like onto it. something here, Forty. Yeah, or, or go back to like the land of the dinosaurs, Loren McNabb. The oh, land before yeah. time. Yeah, I could. I would only do that if it was just the Brontosaurus. Like species. would you would you want to ride the brontosaurus? I don't know. I I like that scene in uh, Jurassic Park where they're in the tree and the brontosaurus comes close and eats some leaves. That's that's enough for me. That's not exciting. I don't want to. That's the most boring rapper. scene in that whole movie. I, I, Lauren. <laughs> as much as I would get into a virtual shark tank and go underwater to get close to the sharks, I don't want to have anything to do with the big dinosaurs. Well, when you're on, at Universal and you do the uh, King Kong ride, right, and and he's fighting the dinosaur and he punches the dinosaur and on the screen blood comes out and they spray water on you. Gross. It's just water, but in your mind you're going, that is dinosaur guts or something that <laughs> yeah. just sprayed upon me and your your brain is very easily tricked in terms of what it's doing based on just a tiny bit of motion and just a little bit of a nudge in terms of feeling and and otherwise yeah it would be cool like uh if you wanted to do skydiving if you because they've got those those wind tunnel things yes. where you can float right yes. so if they, maybe you like if they could combine a little bit of physical activity totally with agree. the game so that it does feel like you're falling or you're floating or what have you. That would be super cool. You mentioned the roller coaster thing, Greg, uh, the virtual roller coasters. Mm-hmm. I would love to try like a, a virtual roller coaster where they just, the design is insane and maybe it goes into space for TA. I don't know. Something cool. like that. Like that, the, that would be neat. But I also like the, the practical applications that the, the kids really can yeah. learn from this can, stuff. Can you imagine? learning like taking your history book but putting on the you know the virtual reality headset and going back in time and how much better attention you might pay to a topic if you could do it that way versus reading it in a book the book is great you want to be able to use your imagination oh, i don't want to love that i don't want to move away from that but you're in history class and they're talking about you know uh, the war or they're talking about uh, the red river valley settlement it'd be neat to be able to walk through that as opposed to just try to imagine a time to which oh. you know it, it, that's it, a good idea like being in the trenches world war one yeah, if you could be like walk, sort of have this walk through an actual battlefield from one of the world wars and see what happened, I think that would be so My, valuable for kids. And yeah. it would just be—I would like to just see what it's like too. I know that uh, I would be terrified on an actual battlefield, so uh-huh. it would—it would kind of kind of strengthen your ability to empathize and realize what they went through. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it might uh, raise greater, even greater awareness for November 11th. I think the needle's moving the right way, but for too. Remembrance Day, it might even heighten the, the appreciation even uh, more so. Imagine so, if they could do it with math. Oh, virtual how? math? Virtual yeah. math. Oh, oh you're, the long division, you're up on top of the thing with and the remainders called, coming at you. And you called 4J a nerd. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Rem- there you go. Remainders coming at you? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, oh, when you're standing extras. up on the thing. Yeah. Let us know what your division. virtual experience would be. Text us 204 780 You have to literally carry the one. The number is 204-780-6868. You can also weigh in on our 680 CJOB Instagram story. We've been talking about this, I think, for months now, maybe even years across this province and here on CJOB. And I think at the beginning, when we first started talking about it, some of you might have been asking why or wondering why the drug was getting so much attention, because for you, you just weren't seeing it. But we believe the conversation is changing, and here's why. Meth and other drugs is not only putting a huge strain on police and hospital resources, it's hitting regular Manitobans right where it hurts. David Holobutch is the owner of Avenue Construction. His business is in West St. Paul, and he says something is stolen from his complex on a weekly basis. Stealing batteries, stealing diesel fuel, puncturing holes in the gas tanks, and uh, just on and on and on. An excavator got stolen uh, with a trailer right on the site, and every day it keeps getting worse and worse. There's people driving by every day looking for something to steal. 
I'm assuming the biggest one is your... Uh, my, my excavator, yeah. It's just been stolen two weeks ago. And it's trailer and truck is worth... I mean, trailer and machine is approximately $200,000. And it's maybe not directly dealt with this meth problem, but it, it goes down to a couple channels and it probably does. I got good coverage. I spend a lot of money on cameras. I could see the people stealing, but you have the people stealing, you need the justice system to do something about it after they captured them. So in case you didn't catch that, thieves stole an excavator. An excavator on the trailer. As he says, it might not have been, you know, directly related to meth, but they steal something and then they pass on to someone else. Hey, there's this thing going on there. So they, they, someone brazen enough to walk in and steal a huge piece of equipment. Well, sure. Word gets out, right? Uh, Holobowicz says he's made improvements to his fencing, but that's not providing him with any real sense of safety. You shouldn't have to Sorry. go to work to be in jail. I mean, I have fences, so they can't come in. And even at my personal house, I have to set my alarm when I go into my house so nobody comes into the house. And that's a bad feeling to have in Canada. If you could talk to the next premier and say, I need this to be done, what, what, what would you want to see done? What I want to see done is then kept in jail if they get arrested and they get caught stealing and it costs a lot of money for the courts and everybody else to, to process them and then they just let them go. I need them to get them off the streets. Now that business is in West St. Paul, downtown at 201 Portage. Meanwhile, Global News spoke to Dave Penner. He is a sales manager at Insight Services and says despite having a fenced compound and security cameras, the thieves keep coming. There'll be one guy in the in the back alley being the spotter, kind of, and then they'll they'll send a guy, one or two guys in to grab our ladders and then they'll just chuck them over the fence and march down the back lane. So, yeah. Now, Penner says they tried to get ahead of the thieves, that they actually heard the news headlines 18 months ago. They heard the police chief talking about theft and crime. And so they tried to prepare. We anticipated that we would see thefts. We, we built a, a chain link fence around our compound and that was locked at all times and video surveillance. Um, but the first couple of years, we actually did not see much stuff get stolen until like maybe 2018 and then all of a sudden, bam, we were getting quite a few ladders stolen kind of in a short period of time. Our most expensive ladder that was ever stolen was a, like a 44 foot ladder. Um, it was probably worth like 1500 bucks or something like that. And if they bring it to a scrapyard, they're gonna get like maybe $20 for it. Now, obviously, insurance will cover some of that. Doesn't cover the stress. You still have to pay your deductible. So the question and que- uh, question for you is, what are our leaders doing about this? We have an election in one week. What have you heard from any of the leaders that makes you think they're going to take this seriously? And what are your stories? I have a quick one. I got a call one day from the storage compound where I keep my camper trailer, and they told me that I needed to come down there because it looked as though there had been a break-in. I went down, and after consulting with the woman who runs the compound, they're pretty sure someone was living in my camper trailer for three or four days. What? Yes. Was Were there remnants of that? There was evidence of that. And oh. I had a TV and a DVD player that, you know, I used uh, for the kids for when we were going glamping, if you prefer, over the terminology camping. But it was very bothersome. Because now look at that camper, and it's, in, in my mind, it's tainted. It's contaminated. Well, it's Correct. The, it's the way when people have their car even just rifled through for coins. The sure. These might not be looking to actually steal the car or even really take anything beyond $2.50 out because it's quick money. You still have that feeling that somebody was in your space, and that's so violating, whether they stole an excavator or just a couple pennies. Yeah, and we t- they mentioned uh, puncturing holes in gas tanks. That actually happened to a guy... In uh, the parking lot where I was living in St. Boniface, he had to get his truck towed because someone came. Someone decided to puncture a hole in his gas tank, and it cost him hundreds of dollars to repair it just because some thug decided to do that for God knows whatever reason. For kicks or to steal his gasoline. 
Don't know. Wow. There was a huge puddle of gas all over the parking lot. Was it a diesel? Oh, was it a diesel truck or a gas? Once again, I'm asking you questions. You might not know the no, answer. I don't to- even, I don't, I'm not, I can't remember even what kind of truck it was. I don't know that I, I couldn't, I wouldn't have been able to identify it in the lot. I just, he told me, I said, how's it going? And he said, oh, not good. But and he gave me the story and I thought, well, that sucks. Mm. Sorry, man. And so. and the inconvenience of all that too, right? So you think about even this construction company or this other company that cleans windows. You come to work, you need ladders to do your business. It sounds small, but the ladder is gone. So now what are you supposed to do with it? Yeah, we're just getting a text here from Tom. He says he lives on, uh, well, I'll just say he lives in front of Kildonan Park. He can't keep anything of value in the backyard. People cruise the back lane stealing anything of value. And um, these text messages disappeared on me here. I had had to reinforce the doors and windows on my garage. Yeah, and we're talking about this because this has been one of the priorities listed by many Winnipeggers and Manitobans this election season. And the rise in brazen thefts, we've heard it before with the liquor stores and all the rest. And now we're hearing from other businesses who talk about the thieves that are targeting them. Thieves that aren't looking for the cover of darkness or aren't deterred by fencing or even security cameras. There'll be one guy in the in the back alley being a spotter, kind of, and then they'll they'll send a guy, one or two guys, in to grab our ladders, and then they'll just chuck them over the fence and march down the back lane. <laughs> so yeah. That was Dave Penner. He's a sales manager at Insight Service Solutions, and he says expensive ladders are being stolen from their property and then sold for pennies. And we know the connection to that theft and the desire to make a quick buck is too often the drug meth. Global's Joe Scarpelli has been looking into just how hard some businesses have been hit in the last few months and joins us now with what they're saying and what they would like our leaders to say about what they'll do to fix it. Good morning, Joe. Good morning, guys. Tell us a bit about who you talked to and what they were explaining to you just about how bad this issue is. Yeah, so I spoke to a a number of business owners and even residents, and I haven't met one person who said, yeah, we, I can handle this, uh, this meth crisis. I can, uh, you know, we just install some cameras, some fencing, and it's all good. I haven't met one person who said that. They are all, they're doing everything they can to protect their personal property, but uh, nothing's working. And they're, they're really crying out for help. They need uh, someone, uh, whether it's our politicians, they're really hoping uh, that um, everyone running in the upcoming uh, provincial election will, uh, you know, really focus on this uh, on the meth crisis because a lot of people they're getting their stuff stolen, especially the business owners, on a regular basis. Um, I know we just heard from uh, Dave Penner the the clip you just played. He um, they have fencing and cameras, as you mentioned, protecting their compound, but that's not stopping thieves from from breaking in hopping over the fence and taking whatever they can they'll you know sometimes they'll rummage through their uh, their vehicles but uh, as you heard in that clip they're stealing their ladders and uh, I know uh, Dave Dave there he told me that his most expensive ladder stolen was uh, they, they paid about fifteen hundred dollars for it and he estimates if that if you were to go to a scrapyard yes you, so you'd get maybe twenty dollars for it uh, I spoke to a, 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 an owner of a construction company. He has, he he's taking tools and copper wire home with him, uh, because he can't leave these items at a job site because they just get stolen all the time. So he's he's having to to you know make take these extra steps to r- bring tools back, bring copper wire back to his shop just to hide it from the job site so they don't get stolen. But even that's not working because people are targeting his shop. People are taking whatever they can from his shop. They're they're, they're they're even going they're they're popping the hoods to vehicles and taking batteries they're 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 rummaging through his his scrapyard he has a bunch of cameras already he's installing more cameras and the next steps now he's he's thinking of putting fencing around his whole yard and he said by the time he's done it's going to look like a jail and he doesn't want his, uh, his workplace to look like a jail. He doesn't want his employees to feel like they're in jail when they go to work. Well, uh, my neighbors up and down my street have cameras. We have cameras at my house. My neighbor has cameras. <laughs> we have a police officer who lives on our street who parks his police vehicle on our street quite often. That does not stop anybody from flipping handles on our street and going into vehicles at night. But even if you have these cameras, Joe, what are you going to do? And we even spoke to business owner in Portage Portage just a few weeks ago who says 
Now the cameras are themselves are getting stolen. It, it, it feels like a kind of a vicious circle here to us to an extent. Yeah. So I asked that question to the owner of a he installs security cameras. I asked him that. I said, people are saying they're getting cameras, but the cameras aren't doing anything because the thieves keep coming. I said, I said how are you selling cameras to people? And he said he, he understands cameras aren't going to stop people but it at least gives you a starting point. You can see who's doing it. You might be able to get a face. I know a lot of times they're covered up, but you might be able to, to get some kind of identification. You'll be able to see what time they came at. Maybe they, they did something that, that you didn't, that you didn't, that wasn't, you know, immediately aware to you, but then you see on camera that they did something else. You'll see how they did it. And that might be able to uh, tell you what extra steps you should take. Um, it's something to give to the police. Um, so it's all these little things that can help you launch an investigation. But yeah, like you said, it's not really stopping anybody. And this, um, this, uh, business owner who installs security cameras, he was telling me that business is at an all time high right now. He can't, he can't keep up. He's been turning down, uh, residential business because there are so many, there's so much commercial business out there. And he said, for, I think it was the last year and a half he hasn't been able to do, uh, to do residential homes because, uh, er everybody's, uh, looking to get at cameras these days. I know there's no simple answer. Lots of promises have been made from the various parties this political election, a lot of them to do with addictions and treatment, which is an important part of the equation. Do the, any of these business owners or or Manitobans have any ideas what they'd like to see? Or is it just a matter of hoping that someone says the right thing at some point? They're hoping, yeah, that, that, that last one. They're hoping people will, will you know, they'll, someone will say something at the right point. They'll, they'll come up with a solution because a lot of the people I'm speaking to, they're 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 not professionals uh, in in this field. They they're they're just you know working class people who who want to protect their personal property. They they have their own ideas, but they 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 want more of a, a presence, more of a, a police presence. They want stiffer penalties, but they don't they don't know what's actually going to you know get to the root of this problem and really really solve the meth crisis. So they're 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 asking for help from uh, from their leaders. We'll be hearing more from Global's Joe Scarpelli throughout the day on CGOB as well as Global News at 6 tonight. Thank you for this, Joe. You're welcome. Just as we're talking, guys, I want to share a quick text from a listener. Chris writes to say, hey, funny you guys are talking about the meth crisis and thefts. Woke up this morning to two missing bikes and a barbecue from my garage. Also, I guess they didn't like my motion sensor light. The thing was smashed. Diana Foxall joins us now live in studio. Good morning. That's Diana's middle name is Aznavour. You guys didn't know that. Diana Aznavour Foxall. Hello there, Diana Aznavour. I'm really sorry. It's not. Oh. I don't have that many accomplishments to my name. Yeah, okay. Well. She's not going to tell us her middle name either. But what I will not. if you want. Okay, yeah. Marilyn? Oh, that's lovely. I've got one uh, one name after my grandma and one after my granny. Oh, my so parents you have were two creative. Names. No, no, no. But my first and middle name okay, are got both it. grandmas. Oh, that's very nice. It's uncreative. So no. the, the that's it's uncreative. I, it's okay. I, I like it. I think there's a legacy attached there. Uh, Winnipeg's legacy is starting to become crime to a certain extent. Yes, unfortunately. I know you guys were talking about it earlier this morning, but uh, we had a fellow te uh, text in just saying. This is super relevant. I was actually broken into this morning. So I spoke with Chris Taphorn. He lives kind of actually not too far from our studios in the Polo Park area. And he woke up to a very unfortunate sight this morning. Woke up this morning, take a peek outside, see what's happening, get some air. And uh, doors wide open on the garage. And I look over at the, the other corner of the garage and our, um, our motion sensor light had been smashed. Uh, like to pieces <laughs> and uh, upon inspection in the garage we're missing um, an adult bike and my daughter my five-year-old daughter's bike as well as a new barbecue so I hope they're going to use the barbecue and not just scrap it because it's brand new and other than that not much to report like this is about the fourth or fifth time we've been broken into into our garage my car has been broken into repeatedly over the last like year and a half, two years, countless times, actually. We called the police three times. They never showed up any of those times. So now we just don't report it at all. It's an incredible story. So he, just to recap, uh, two missing bikes, 
a barbecue. And he jokes in there about hoping that it doesn't go to scrap because what we've been hearing this morning is that so many of the items uh, we had a business on talking about their ladders being stolen and going to scrap, an excavator being stolen, all these metal items. And, and meth is part of the problem. He makes a joke in there. And even when Chris texted us, he said, you know, it's funny you're talking about this, but I was just robbed this morning. It can't be funny to him. This is not a joke. What has he been trying to do to, to stamp this down if, if police aren't able to respond? Well, as he said in the clip, he's got a motion sensor. He takes all the precautions. Um, he says, actually, he's had his car broken into so many times that he just leaves the doors open so that he d- they don't drain his battery when they just leave the doors open and the light comes on in the middle of the night sort of thing. He's had that happen to him before, but he's also got a dog kind of to fend off any would-be robbers. Turns out that's not super helpful either. Well, and I figured the the 80-pound dog would be a little bit of a deterrent too, but not the case. These people don't care. There was one time, actually, I woke up in the morning. There was a lady just cutting through. She had a bike. I don't know where she got it. It wasn't mine. But I was on the verge of being like, okay, let's go outside. Milos, the dog's name. And uh, I decided against it because she looked like she was already kind of running from something or scared or something. She ended up just leaving. I watched her leave. She didn't poke around too long. But... uh, no, it's just, it's crazy. Like every everywhere is an open door. Your sanctuary is not your own. Like if they want to let themselves in, they will. That's an incredible story to hear from him and the frustration that must be there. But then what, the, what do you do? You don't leave your house unlocked and your garage unlocked and your yard unlocked like you would your car. You don't want to invite somebody in. And yet if none of those things are deterring anybody... You're throwing your hands up in the air. Well, at what point are they coming in? Are they letting themselves in? Are they breaking the door down? And we're hearing about that more and more often as well. The idea of home invasions and whether you're home or not, or not, people are desperate. They'll do desperate things. Exactly. And Chris says he's extremely frustrated because he has done kind of all that he can, but he's thinking now, how high a fence can I build to deter these people even further? Um, like he says he wants to build an eight foot high fence and just kind of make sort of a fortress but the trouble is will that stop him he says he thinks it is largely tied to the meth crisis and i think we've all seen that it's just rising crime in terms of break-ins anything you can steal as is evidenced in what was stolen from him this morning so um he doesn't know if there's sort of an end in sight but he really hopes so mackling mcgarry and mcnab Seven days. Remember the the movie The Ring? Seven. <laughs> seven days. Oh, the movie The Ring. I do remember that. Get that phone call saying seven days. Well, in seven days, something's <laughs> not going to jump out of your TV and, you know, scare you to death. But... Well, it might, depending on how you look at it, because what's been happening in this last final week of the election is obviously a lot of promises have been be- being made. Polls are being done. And I don't think anyone's surprised to hear that, that all the numbers add up showing the progressive conservatives are the favorite, of course, to win the election. What's fascinating about some of the more recent numbers is the idea that at least two of the leaders are super unlikable as far as the voters are concerned. We've been hearing University of Winnipeg political scientist Shannon Sampert talk in the newsroom with Jeff Braun about policy might be more important than the people because none of the candidates are charismatic enough. And we've had that conversation before, Greg, but now numbers are showing the idea that, yeah, the likability factor is way down, but oh, well, I guess we'll we'll vote for this one or that one. In fact, it's more than likely that the least likable of the three leaders will, in fact, remain premier. Those are the numbers from the latest... Pro, poll done by Probe Research. They were commissioned by the Winnipeg Free Press and TTV. Curtis Brown is the principal at Probe Research and joins us now. Good morning, Curtis. Good morning. Unlikable, that's the word of the day. Is that fair? <laughs> ah, well, I don't know if it's totally that far, but yeah, I mean, our our numbers certainly show that uh, uh, Brian Pallister in particular is uh, seems to be the, uh, the, the least popular party leader. The thing about it, though, is that when you look at the numbers and you break them down a little bit further, um, a lot of that unpopularity is really among people who are, you know, planning on voting, you know, voting for the other three parties, the other three parties in the election. And in many ways, he and his party benefit from the fact that the, for lack of a better term, progressive vote is split. Uh, in our, you know, in, in our poll, we have the, uh, the progressive conservatives at 40 percent. Uh, Brian Pallister, you know, certainly his, his numbers are, the, you know, uh, the weakest in terms of likability. But 
he does tend to be a little bit more popular among the vote, you know, certainly among Tory voters, as you'd expect, but also among the types of the, the groups that uh, are more likely to support the Conservatives, particularly rural Manitobans, older Manitobans. So uh, I guess, you know, that is the one uh, silver lining in there for, for them. Otherwise, uh, you know, as far as uh, Wab Canoe's popularity, it's a, it's a bit of a wash, uh, you know, with about even numbers of people uh, either having a you know, positive or negative view of his leadership. And then um, the, the, the leaders of the two smaller parties, they tend to be a little bit more popular. Do you think that's a, a matter of people knowing less about them or what do you how do you account for that, Curtis? Yeah, well, it's a bit of that. Yeah, I think there's a bit of that, definitely, because, uh, yeah, certainly the number of people who don't have any opinion about uh, Liberal leader Dougal Lamont or, or Green Party leader James Bedham tends to be higher than it does for the other two. It is interesting that, you know, th- I mean, this is Wab Canoe's first election. Uh, his, his um, uh, you know, the number of people who have no opinion about him is is actually not that high. I think, you know, he's he's become fairly well known to Manitobans for, for better or for worse. I mean, certainly considering the Conservatives have spent a lot of time talking about his his past and some negative things about him but but yeah i think in i think in some ways when people look at some of the the, the, the you know we see this federally with um you know elizabeth may as well uh the green the federal green party leader sometimes yeah the, the the parties who are not uh considered to be seen as you know real viable contenders the, their leaders tend to be seen sometimes a little bit in a bit more positive light it's easy i think to look at the numbers and say okay you have a situation where people might be holding their nose in some respects and voting anyway for someone, but it comes down to two parties and two leaders that, according to your numbers by probe, are both deemed unlikable. And so they're voting for other reasons. Do we have any insight on that? Or is it just because they've decided and they're going with the party they know? Well, uh, that's kind of the, the way it's been in Manitoba for a long time. I mean, it, it's, 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 they always call the two and a half party system, and, and certainly the, the, conserv- the progressive conservatives and the NDP tend to be those two major parties, and we alternate, uh, we alternate between them. And I, I just think, just in terms of the way that the, the, the parties have, have positioned themselves, I mean, there's been less emphasis on, I mean, the leader. Often the leader is making announcements, but you know, in terms of uh, the parties advertising and, and you know how they're sort of presenting themselves. There's more emphasis on, yeah, the party itself. I mean, you see things like the PC team on the on the progressive conservative signs, things like that, and then also you know more focus. I've been more focused on issues specifically, uh, and you know the way that the NDP is talking about healthcare so much, uh, you know, tends to be that as opposed to making it about uh, the leader the way that it was, you know, when when the NDP was in power and Gary Dewar's face was on the uh, on the on the election signs, for instance. So yeah, there there has been. I think I think the, you know the parties know this and they, they you know they, they have a sense you know obviously they have their own internal polling and they would know how their party leaders are perceived so i think there's been a deliberate shift uh away from emphasizing the leaders certainly in this election curtis brown with probe research joining us live on 680 cjob one week out from the election curtis thank you very much for the time much appreciated sir thanks thanks for having me one of our retailers our grocery retailers in the city has been breaking the law for 30 years. And Good he's for fine with it. Been really fine with it. And apparently the government was as well up until mm, about a year or so ago. And most days, uh, you know, when you realize you need more than bread and milk to get through the day and maybe you got to go out and get some dinner for the family. And then you realize, oh, oh boy, it's Labor Day and nothing, nothing is open. As Global News reporter Eric Pandera tells us yesterday, it was considerably more difficult with major grocery outlets across the province closed for Labor Day, with that one notable exception. Munther Zeed's food fairs were busy on Labor Day, but they weren't supposed to be open. Uh, we've been opening all the holidays, as we usually have done, and uh, we're going to fight it until it's changed. By law and threat of fines, grocery stores, among certain other retail businesses, are supposed to close on stat holidays. But that might soon change, with all three major political parties promising to look at the act that prevents the Zeds from opening shop. The PCs promise to repeal the act. Will the NDP say they would review it while keeping workers in mind? Oh, I've met with uh, some of the uh, guys from Food Fair, and for sure I understand where they're coming from. We would, we would make that change. We would modernize it. The Liberals have a similar plan. We said it should be reviewed. Like, it's not enough to just say, well, we're going to get rid of statutory holidays entirely. That's encouraging news for this small business owner. I'm glad that all three parties have agreed to this, so no matter who wins, it looks like it's going to be put on the table for a change. 
But until any change comes, for Zeed, the holiday was just another day, another dollar. Eric Pindera, Global News. Now, Munther Zeed gets asked all the time one basic question. Why are you open today? Well, uh, our community wants us open. Uh, they want the service. They want to be able to buy what they need when they need it. And at the same time, uh, uh, this law that we have, uh, after 30 years of opening on these days, somebody woke up at the labor board and decided uh, this is wrong. And I guess my question is, why is it wrong after 30 years of doing this? So uh, to prove a point, uh, we've been opening all the holidays as we usually have done, and uh, we're going to fight it until it's changed. Business open, Zeed's family business has been targeted on several of those holidays with visits and fines from the Manitoba Labour Board. Zeed is ready to fight and beat those citations. Everything's done on the, on the lawyer's side. Uh, the Crown Attorney has asked for it to be delayed because of the comments of the government saying they wanted to change the law. And uh, based on my lawyer and from what I've been reading and talking to other lawyers, uh, this is basically a slam dunk for us. We will win going to court. One word that comes up continually in this discussion is about whether to allow retailers to open or not is choice. Choice for consumers? Well, it gives them a choice. It allows them the freedom to shop when they want uh, without having to worry about stores being closed. And they've had that freedom for, with us at least, for 30 plus years. And again, somebody at the labor board woke up and said, hey, uh, food fair is now uh, is open on holidays. We got to shut them down. And what were they doing for the last thirty years? And choice for employees. Well, my employees are glad. I mean, they, they they're they're working by choice. A lot of the ones that are working are students who want the money, who need the money, who have student loans, like to have some extra cash. It's a day that they can make a little bit more money. So we've never forced any of our staff to work at any of our locations. If uh, customers notice that on most holidays, all our stores are open, but there are some holidays where some don't open because we don't have staff to work, and it's all by choice. I think that's an interesting note at the end there, Loren, where he mentions the fact that there are some stores that do not open on certain holidays because they simply don't have enough staff that are willing to work. Or they choose to. There's a restaurant I drive by on St. Mary's in the summer, and it shuts down for two weeks every August. And that's obviously the time they choose to tell their employees, this, these are the two weeks you're taking off. And otherwise, we expect you to be here in the summer months. They, they, everyone's making their choice to manage their schedules and the staff the way they see fit. I, I don't think I'd have an issue if they wanted to say on stats, we'll limit the hours were like a Sunday shopping experience or other. But but well, one thing I do notice about this time of year, and again, it's maybe because my back to school list was a little short yesterday when I went to double check. But the idea at this time of year of not having any options is challenging, I think. And it's your, you don't not everybody has Saturday off. They might have had the Monday off and, you know, their schedule might be different. And so they use Mondays and Tuesdays or Fridays to be their shopping days. And so when you have things closed on those days, that's that's challenging. On the other hand, I like the idea of having people not have to think about going to work, having that one day that they get off. So I don't know. I, I guess it depends on where you're sitting and, and on the day. And with one through Z, too, the, the, if he's willing to pay his people, because yes. he's got to pay extra. He's got to pay the, the holiday pay to have the his employees in the store. And if he's willing to pay that so that he can serve his customers, I think it's great. And the fact that he says, look, they, there are students who need the cash. Mm-hmm. And so he is keenly aware of that it's actually helpful to the young people who are working in his stores, the part-timers. When I was a part-timer, man, I lined up for holidays. I would go around the office and say, do you want me to cover your shift? Do you want the day off? Because I'll take it. Mm -hmm. I mean, I screwed my family Christmas for about 10 years. Christmas would be sometimes Christmas Eve. It would be Christmas afternoon. My schedule was all over the place, so we didn't have a consistent routine because I was gobbling up all these holidays, but I needed the money, and I had no problem doing it. So I salute him for doing that, and it's great for customers because I needed stuff yesterday, and I forgot... Oh, crap, it's Labor Day. And I looked as, looked at CJOB.com, at the, the usual post. What's open on Labor Day? And it was closed, 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 mm-hmm. closed. Like, ah, there's mm-hmm. nothing. We were nothing. in the same boat. We just got home from holidays on uh, Saturday, and Sunday we had uh, stuff to do. And then Monday comes around, and you go to make a meal, and you realize, hmm, 
We've got 13-day-old lettuce, some tiny tomatoes that are about to meld into one tomato. That's a salad. That's a salad. <laughs> you know, and that's it. And that's all. And that's really, those were the choices. So I think it's good for a lot of people to have that choice whether or not to work. And that's always been my concern, though, that idea of whether or not it's your choice to work on those holidays. Because it, family time is becoming more and more precious. I don't need the government uh, forcing me to spend time with my family uh, because it, I can take or leave time with my family most of the time. But I will say yesterday we sat here and <laughs> talked about the idea that we had to work. Right. Right. And so that there are the holidays that we have to work and you're grateful for your job and your hours and what you do. But there are certain days where, you know, that the automatic closure is super welcome. I think it is for a lot of people. And I just want to qualify that. That's my extended family. Yeah, no. Okay. That's not just my, you know, my kids. And I want to cut wife. you off there. So your kids are listening at home. Daddy. Oh, come on. Yeah. But uh, you're going to be dancing a jig tomorrow when the kids go back to school. Uh, just a little bit. Yeah. Yes. McNabb, will you be dancing the same jig? Oh, uh, we've had a great summer. I've enjoyed the time with them, but everybody needs routine at some point. And I had said weeks ago that we had gone off the rails with routine. And so it's nice to have a bit of a schedule back. Talk to me again in three months. I'll be lamenting the schedule. But right now, for sure. A new poll says half of Canadian parents are concerned their child spends too much time on their devices. If you have kids, are you concerned about screen time? Your options are yes or a little bit. I'm keeping an eye on it. Or, not at all, or, I'm concerned about my own screen time. Cast your vote at cjob.com. Loren McNabb, who saith this poll? This is by Angus Reid, and some of the numbers are that 89% of parents think that screens, devices, can be valuable educational tools for their kids. But 46% are concerned their kids are spending too much time. 87% say their child spends about an hour a day on their devices, with most devoting significantly more time than that. And I would argue an hour is on the low end for most kids because now, of course, it's not just TVs. This conversation has shifted so far from what it used to be when my dad took the television away from us when we were in high school and hid it in the basement for six months because it was just the TV you had to worry about. Of course, now there are so many different screens and devices and Nintendos and Switches and all sorts of things that they can be doing that I I would argue that most kids are spending more than an hour. But what I love about the question of the day is the last question. I'm a little bit worried about this as a parent, but my kids right now are really active. They're in a lot of sports after school. They're not allowed to be on their screens. And so, you know, the the conversation to me is still I'm okay with the balance we have right now. What I'm not okay with is the last question, which is I'm worried about my own screen time. And I'm not just worried about it because I think I'm on my phone too much or people in my life are on their phone too much. But what am I telling my child Get off the, turn the TV off or get off the iPad or stop playing your video games while I'm often holding my own phone in my hand, responding to a work email. What am I saying to them? It's bad for you, but okay for me. I've been staying with my dad for the last couple of weeks and I feel bad because my poor dad just wants to have a conversation with me. And Come half, on. More than half the time I've Tell got him my, to text you. I've got my, my nose in my phone and I, I'll often have to say, sorry, dad, I just got to take care of this because sometimes it is genuinely like I'm dealing with something from sure. work or I'm, I'm, you know, fielding an email from the bank or whatever. But uh, other times it's just because I'm on Instagram or I'm on YouTube or I'm on Facebook or I'm looking at some garbage on, you know, Entertainment Weekly or whatever. I'm just wasting time. But you go you go to a restaurant and you see families out and I've been guilty of this, right? Where someone's on someone's on their phone and the kids are there talking, so that moment where you're supposed to have this time together is gone. Uh, you see it in amusement parks, people standing in line, parents watching their kids at practice. I often wonder what we would do at practices now. What was my mom or dad doing watching all of us do these sports? Not- Get hit by baseballs. Well, that, that would I, I know, be one but, thing. But people are just on their phone. And yes, you can argue you're doing work, but how much of that is mindless nonsense? I just took myself off Instagram and my personal Facebook page is gone because I found myself just scrolling, like like rolling through the feeds just to see what was up. And none of it was necessary for me to see at that moment. Okay. So to the 46% of parents who think your kids are on their electronics too much, you're the parent. You're in charge of how long they spend on those machines. So we should be able to get that down to pretty much zero, you know, unless you've got 
some other reason that your child controls what he or she does for majority of their time. That would be my first thing. We have the same thing in my house where we have to set strict boundaries. That gets negotiated, and there's a whole lot of back and forth on the timelines that are negotiated in terms of what's allowed for screen time and video games. Are there any boundaries for yourself and your wife? No. And so my kids, I know, are looking at me and going, hey, come on, Dad, Uh, walk the walk. You can't just talk the talk. And I think you made a brilliant point uh, when this survey came out. Loren, I have no question. We played that uh, commercial from that Australian food company a few weeks ago, and uh, they asked parents who would they like to have dinner with. The parents were listing off all these celebrities, and who were the kids saying they wanted to have dinner with? Mom and dad. You can cast your, broke my heart. Cast oh. your vote at cjob.com. 36% say, yes, they're concerned about their kids and screen time. 27% say, I'm concerned about my own screen time. You can cast your vote at cjob.com. We've also put the poll up on Twitter and similar polls on our Instagram and Facebook. You say you, you removed yourself from Instagram, so should I stop tagging you and no, stuff? No, I, I mean, I will eventually find, I think I'll find a way to go back on. Some of those things are needed for work, and I get yeah. that. I just, in the summer months, needed to not pick up my phone and, and, and have that extra thing to go to. The phone should be for my friends, for my family. Yes, for work, but there was just too much time wasted. So I'm off of it for the moment. I'm not off of it forever. Greg Mackling, you mentioned at 922 that we've gotten three different messages about our conversation we had at 645 about how classroom field trips involving virtual reality are becoming a trend across the country. And we asked, what would you do for a virtual experience? Yeah, these are pretty clever. I think Uh, one of our listeners said, my virtual reality experience would be taking the ride with Santa Claus around the world in the sleigh and all the reindeer. Love it. Right? That's the the one for me. (laughs) Love it. Is it the sled or is it getting down the chimney? Well, I think both would be like, like, wow. That's That's an interesting trip. And then another one of our listeners was thinking micro versus macro and suggesting that journey into the human body would be fascinating, just like Fantastic Voyage. Mm-hmm. If you guys have seen that movie, my, my dad made me watch that. Or the movie uh, Inner Space. You remember that with Dennis Quaid and I believe it was Ellen Barkin? Which I enjoyed that movie as well. So I think that's good. And then this one was uh, interesting because it tied into something that we are uh, trying to learn more about uh, with regard to a program that potentially exists here in Winnipeg. So if people are using drugs to escape their somehow unpleasant reality, would a meth or fentanyl high experience in virtual reality reduce the desire for an actual drug-induced high? Could it help? reduce negative social consequences. That's interesting. I wonder if there would be a way to replicate the feeling, the, the sensation that you get. I think that that's actually a really good idea that's certainly worth exploring. Well, I think so. And then the other side is that uh, I know that about nine years ago here in Winnipeg, they were working towards building a lab that would use virtual reality to help people get over their phobias and fears. And so when I mentioned that, we started looking to confirm whether or not that lab existed, Loren, and I'm reaching out to the mm-hmm. people that I know that were involved with that. They were certainly fundraising for it they were. eight years ago. So if you've used that, if it does exist, and like I say, uh, we've put out some feelers uh, to official channels, but sometimes those channels are slow, 204-780-6868, because virtual reality is absolutely Fantastic. In fact, they don't even call it that anymore. I think they call it augmented, augmented. reality. And I think that's a much better marketing, if, if not a truer sense of what you're doing. And I think it's going to be increasingly used in schools. And I hope so for a lot of reasons. I think it can take kids, pull back that curtain, so to speak, on all sorts of experiences, historical moments, wars, conversations about residential schools. If you can take them inside what it might have felt like in those moments or that time and place, that's going to change the way kids learn. And I think that's a fantastic thing. So we've also got some questions out to school divisions. How do you use virtual reality? Where is it being used? What kind of classrooms? What ages? Well, in gaming, sorry, Brett, but in gaming, it's all about that first person perspective. Yep. 
And so you now you tie that to historical events being at the Gettysburg ad, uh, address or perhaps, you, you know, you could go, I don't want to say dark, but you could go really deep into history where maybe we haven't uh, grown our empathy very well and, and learn more about some of the atrocities that have been committed uh, over the history of uh, mankind. Yeah, it would be great too for just training purposes, like you could use it in driver's ed. Before the kids ever get out on the road, they can get into a VR simulator. They do that for for the trucking industry. They do that for airplanes. Mm-hmm. Do you think I'm trusting you with a hundred and fifty million or two hundred million dollar airplane jet aircraft? I don't care how many hours you have in a smaller airplane. You are not flying the real deal until you attack the simulator. So you can text us at two zero four seven eight zero sixty eight sixty eight if you have other ideas for what would be a solid augmented reality experience. Question of the day at cjob.com brought to you by Credit Aid, helping Manitobans get out of debt since 1992. Visit creditaid.ca, call 204-987-6890. A new poll says half of Canadian parents are concerned their child spends too much time on their devices. If you have kids, are you concerned about screen time? And the results so far at cjob.com, 31% say yes, 27% say, a little bit, I'm keeping an eye on it. 23% say, I'm concerned about my own screen time. And 19% say, not at all. You can cast your vote at cjob.com as well as on Twitter. We've put the same poll on Twitter and then uh, altered versions of the polls on Facebook and on our 680 CJOB Instagram story because you only have two options there as opposed to Twitter, which lets you do four. Come on, Facebook. Catch up. We talk all the time about what our kids learn from us, right? And so that fourth option I was saying was my favorite because we've had conversations about alcohol use or, uh, you know, smoking. And if you smoke in front of your kids or if you drink in front of your kids and the addictions that, you know, what you might be teaching them. And then we have this phone addiction that some might call it. And I would argue so many of us could probably fall into a phone addict category. And we don't stop and think about the impact that's having on our kids and what they might be watching and learning from us, right? We had a listener say, I don't know how we can overcome the scourge of smartphones. They are so integrated into our everyday lives. And it hasn't taken long. It's really been a decade. And this has overtaken our lives to a great extent. And, uh, you know, I I lament all the time the fact that you go to a sporting event or a concert, you spend hundreds of dollars on a ticket for the personal interaction and the and the genuine experience at being at one of these events and people are watching them in a lot of cases through a four or five inch screen as opposed to just packing it away and just being in the moment because we're so obsessed with letting everybody know what we're up to this happened to me actually a couple of weeks ago when i was looking at the place where i ended up moving to it's on the 16th floor in Osborne Village, and I walked out, and I just very quickly took in the view, but my my immediate need, not just, like, desire, but I needed to pull out my phone and snap a video and put it on Instagram, and then I, I sent it off to my story, and I walked off the balcony, and then I later realized, you know what, I didn't actually take that in. I was standing on this balcony, yes. 16th floor, and You're I didn't consuming stop. it for everybody else. Right. Yeah. And I, I, there's a couple things at play there, because I'm, I'm not pointing a finger at you, which I actually literally am right now, <laughs> yes. but, but I'm not pointing a finger at you, Brett. We, we first of all, we have this thing where we're, we need to touch the phone and look at it and use it. And then there's the other side of the equation of having to share it and what's behind your need to share. Is it really about showing people where you're at at life and it's a, it's a more of a messaging thing, like just so you know, this is my new place? Or is there something else beyond that, like that we like the likes or that we like the response we get from that or the feedback? And again, I'm... I guess I'm just a not huge narcissist. shaking my figure at you. I think we're all no, doing it. And you, sometimes you're not even sure why. I think I was doing it uh, just out of habit, really, because I had been uh, I've been trying to do more stuff on my Instagram story. And you can follow me at Brett McGarry. You can follow GMAC WPG. Don't bother with McNabb because she says <laughs> she's pulled herself, uh, temporarily removed herself from Instagram. But it's McNabb on CJOB. But yeah, I think some of it, it's kind of nice to get the likes. I don't really care about the views. I just throw it out there, mostly for my friends. Just wanted sure. to let them know what was going on. And especially with certain things that you do, I think it's it's been a nice way to communicate with people that you're not talking to all the time. They can keep up with your lives. And, yes. No, I saw you were in San, San Diego, Greg, or Loren, you and your family went out to BAM for whatever the case might be. But then my sister, who doesn't touch social media at all, 
on the weekend said something to me because we were talking about, you know, pictures we take. And she said to me, don't post that. I don't want my kids out there. I said, no, no, I don't post pictures of people who aren't my own. Right. And then she said, remember how like you used to get invited to someone's house and it'd be like the eighties and it'd be a full on slideshow, (laughs) you know, and you'd be sitting there like, I don't care about your trip to Tahiti. Like this is like a 47 minute thing. (laughs) She's like, don't you feel like a little bit like your Facebook photos are like the slideshow. No one wanted to be invited to. Like, why are you inviting me to this slideshow? I'm not interested. Now, you can choose not to click on those photos. That's the difference. Right. But it's kind of the same mentality of like, like we, we were guilty of it. We went on this huge trip when we were younger. And I can remember my dad being like, gather around, citizens of Minnedosa. <laughs> it, like, it was like six people. So that's not really fair. But it, everybody did it. And people the popcorn gets popped and, and everything. It was a big production. And You've been at someone's house as a kid and you were like, dear mother of what the what. Oh, like, my why grandfather was famous for his slideshows whenever he would go on a trip and it was like you know yeah you went grandpa we didn't go we liked your stories and everything but uh can you speed it up a tiny bit 45 minutes later and like uh, how long do you actually look at a picture on a on a cell phone like uh, at facebook you might glance at it for less than a second, maybe two seconds, if you're super interested, if there are multiple people in it. Yeah, those slides would sit there for 45 seconds, and there was a story to go with every single one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Slideshows, that's a great. I love it. Yeah, those you're, you're, you're posting pictures of a slideshow no one wants to be invited to. I'm like, oh, that's harsh. These are My kids are super cute. Fantastic. Two hours for a slideshow? Oh, yeah, at least 45 minutes for sure. For sure. People used to do it back in the day. It was a big deal. Someone had gone on a trip because you, and here's the opposite end. You couldn't go there yourself. Very few people were traveling. Virtual reality. So you'd be like at the town hall. You want to come see so-and-so's pictures to Fiji? And you're like, kind of (laughs) do. And then you get there. You're like, kind of don't. This is really, really long. Is there free Mr. Pibb and popcorn? (laughs) I'll be there. Mr. Pibb. Mr. Pibb. That was my dad's favorite. What is Mr. Pibb again? It's sort of like Dr. Pepper. Okay. It's a, it's a sort of a cherry cola sort of flavor thing. Hey, thanks for listening to the Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think, and hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG, that's G-M-A-C-K, WPG. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global and on Instagram at McNab on CJOB. Talk soon.